We're going to start in Iowa, where Paul Steinhaus reporting nationally for Fox News. There was a debate last night. DeSantis, Haley, Haley, DeSantis, pretty fiery exchanges. Does it move the needle at all? Maybe in Iowa, Paul Steinhaus reporting as well. Good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse Ranch. Good morning, Steiny. I hope you were in that ski park this morning with your yogurt in the hotel in Iowa. Hey, I appreciate that, Jack. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, what a fiery debate last night, right off the bat, right? I mean, seconds in the debate, DeSantis calling Haley mealy mouth, uh, she returning fire, calling him a liar. At least 10 times last night, pointing to a new campaign website, DeSantisLies.com. That set the tone right off the bat. These two went after each other, trading personal insults. But also, since it was only a two-person debate, Jack, a lot of policy and a lot of policy differences. Man, you know, you talk about Israel and Ukraine raising the Social Security eligibility age. DeSantis and Haley did not agree on a lot of stuff, and that really shined through last night, even with all the insults. But I think the winner, Jack, may have been, and this is kind of what I had in my FoxNews.com story, may have been, the winner may have been the person who wasn't on the debate stage, and that's the clear frontrunner in the race, at least out here in Iowa, the former president, Donald Trump. Where was he? About two miles away, he was in downtown Des Moines doing a town hall with my network on Fox News last night, looking pretty chill last night, didn't you think, uh, during that town hall? So, you know, once again, Trump does not go to a debate for the fifth straight time, skips out on the debate, and it does not seem to do him any harm. And pretty frigid weather, although this time of year in Iowa, that's sort of an obvious obvious statement. But Monday in the caucus, uh, and Trump voters, or caucus, not voters, but caucus goers, probably going to turn out no matter how chilly it is in Iowa, right? Yeah, listen, it it is, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, we're used to the cold weather, but man, it's going to get frigid here. I mean, Arctic, it's going to be nasty. Uh, But Trump supporters, yeah, they. they right. I, I don't think they. You know, they're very devoted to their candidate, and it all comes down in a caucus, Jack, to yeah. getting out your voters to the caucus. It's not like a, a primary where you can vote all day. You specifically have to show up seven o'clock local, yeah. eight o'clock Eastern on Monday night to come to these caucuses. Jack, as you mentioned, though, big intrigue in New Hampshire tomorrow at St. A's at the uh, Politics and Eggs. You're going to have Mansion go to Marianne's Diner in uh, in Derry. Yeah, what, what will Chris well, Christie do? It was pretty clear last night he's no fan of Nikki Haley. Well, could he be at that mansion event? You never know, Paul. Jack, we'll find out. Uh, you right. mentioned the new poll uh, from Emerson. I think we're going to see some new polls here in Iowa as well this morning. Stay tuned. A lot, of, a lot going on here. All right, and then get back to New Hampshire after Monday where it all happens a week from Tuesday. Thank you, Paul, live from Iowa. Dr. Vic, we have Corey Lewandowski on the line. Real quickly, you have a great guest coming on at 10 o'clock, plus some inflationary numbers out. That's right, Jack. Uh, inflation data came out at 8.30 this morning. Running, surprise, surprise, a little hotter than expected. Uh, but at ten, at, at the top of the 10, uh, we have Senator Rob Portman, guest on my Navigating Uncertainty podcast this week, is going to join us here live. Awesome. Well-respected from Ohio. Thank you. Corey Lewandowski, of course, New Hampshire's own uh, former campaign manager for president, former President Donald Trump when he won the first time in 2016, still close to the former president. Corey, kind of surreal, right? Big event last night for President Trump and uh, former President Trump in Iowa. Now he's in New York for the closing arguments in that New York civil fraud t- trial, leaving Trump Tower as we speak. Corey, good Thursday morning. Yeah, good morning to you, Jack. Look, you know, Donald Trump had a big night again last night. Paul just alluded to this. You had the two other candidates on the stage, and Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, attacking each other for two hours on CNN. Well, Donald Trump was, you know, taking layup questions on Fox News and reminding everybody just what he's accomplished in the four years that he was the president, what he wants to accomplish in the next four years. So it was an interesting juxtaposition between 
these candidates. Uh, the big news, obviously, Chris Christie out of the race, uh, announced in my hometown of Windham that he will be suspending his campaign. And then Donald Trump actually gave him some praise last night and said he liked Christie a little better yesterday after he made that announcement. So look, there's a little levity involved. But what this really does, Jack, Jack is – what we're seeing is about 68% of the people who are supporting Chris Christie say Nikki Haley is their second choice. So if Chris was getting 12% in New Hampshire, Nikki is probably going to pick up eight or nine points there. Um, we'll see if any of those additional voters decide to continue to, to come out on Tuesday the 23rd and support a different candidate. Donald Trump may get some of those. The race continues to tighten in New Hampshire, but I think what you're going to see next Monday in Iowa, is Donald Trump is going to have a decisive victory. And that victory, what the real story is going to be, is what the delta is between Donald Trump's victory and who the second-place finisher is. The debate last night between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley was a fight for second place. Ron DeSantis is still in this fight in Iowa, and he has the ability to put Nikki into a bad spot if she finishes third in Iowa, because it will really blunt her momentum coming into New Hampshire. Well, Corin, again, this St. A's poll that I'm getting somewhat of an indicator, unlike that UNH poll where it was seven points. I think the UNH poll had Trump at 39, Nikki Haley 32, Christie when he was still in the race at 12. I'm hearing that the St. Anselm College poll reflects their first one, which had Trump more like 44 uh, over Nikki Haley at 30. Even if you presume that Nikki Haley picks up two or three or five points of the Christie supporters, if Christie's still about 9 or 10% in the St. A's poll today, it still may not be enough when it comes to a week from Tuesday. I think it's going to be very, very hard for Nikki to catch Donald Trump in New Hampshire. And I think what we're going to see on Monday night after the caucuses are done in Iowa is if Ron DeSantis' operation, which is comprised of knocking on doors for months in Iowa, actually pulls through on a cold, cold winter night, and Nikki finishes third, that's really going to hurt her chances. I think if Governor DeSantis finishes second, I think he stays in the race. I think if he finishes third or worse, he gets out of the race. Uh, and then it becomes a two-person race, and that's really something that, candidly, Donald Trump has never been against. You know, as, as we ran the 16 campaign, if you remember, Ted Cruz actually got out just before um, uh, John Kasich did. And that was at the very end of this race after the New York primaries and the Ohio primaries and all those things. So it's possible we end up in a two-person race in New Hampshire with Nikki Haley against Donald Trump. That being said, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for her to catch him. I think he's going to win Iowa big. I think the team is ready as they come to New Hampshire. We know that Donald Trump is here uh, coming to the Atkinson Country Club right after the Iowa caucuses, and he will be in state, I think, every day between Iowa and New Hampshire. The team is ready. We are focused, and we are preparing for a victory in New Hampshire. All right. Thank you, Corey Lewandowski, uh, on behalf of Donald Trump and the Republican analysis, political analysis with the analyst hat on, and hopefully we can catch you on actual primary day. I meant to invite you earlier for some of our evening coverage at St. Anselm College, West Wing. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, Jack. We'll be broadcasting there. Dr. Vic, you're welcome as well. Uh, St. Anselm College that evening, brought to you by Dennehy Belay Group. Good morning, New Hampshire, powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, our, our own White House correspondent, John Decker, joining us with a quick update on this Thursday morning. A lot going on in Iowa, a lot going on in New Hampshire, and a lot going on in New York City. Take it away, John. Well, that's right. We're just four days away from the Iowa caucus. We had a, an event last night, a debate featuring two of those opponents of Donald Trump uh, going head-to-head, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, uh, Donald Trump having competing programming on Fox News. 
Uh, and today in New York City, Donald Trump will be off the campaign trail once again. Remember, he was off the campaign trail earlier this week here in Washington. Uh, today, closing arguments for that civil fraud trial. Uh, Donald Trump deciding to show up, not required to do so. Uh, and this is all about the future of the Trump organization, uh, the future of Donald Trump's ability to conduct real estate business in the state of New York. That's what's at stake for Donald Trump as it relates to this particular civil fraud trial. And, and John, why do I feel, because you can already tell where it's going, given the judge and the attorney general, uh, why do I feel Trump will have a rally, uh, they'll, 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 they'll basically appeal the ruling, fight it, and it will probably help him with his base versus hurt, and fight it, and who knows. More, more work for lawyers, John. I guess that's a good thing. Well, more more work for his lawyers for sure. Uh, but you know, this is really uh, uh, putting a, an existential threat on his ability to conduct business right. in New York State, where he uh, sure. built his business, uh, and will get a determination in terms of the penalty uh, as it relates to this civil fraud at the end of this month. Remember, it is a bench trial. That means right. the judge presiding over this case, the sole determinant in terms of deciding what that penalty will be against the Trump organization and against Donald Trump. A quarter of a billion to start, John. He's already said it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Our state police segment brought to you by AutoFair. Remind you, you can go at AutoFair, Nissan, and Stratum and save 500 bucks on your next newer used vehicle. Just say Jack, J-A-C-K, AutoFair, Nissan, and Stratum. And right now in our studios, we have Eric Moar, no relation to the former Red Sox player, Homeland Security investigator, talking about human trafficking awareness day and month. But as he said before we went on the show this morning, they work very close with state police. Every day should be awareness on this front. And I, I think we're joined by Dave McCormick, who's the state police trooper on the HSI task force. And I believe... Uh, National Human Trafficking Awareness Day, which is actually observed tomorrow. So let me start with Dave on the uh, on our line, and Eric, both of you. Eric, thanks for being here. I want you quarterback this, Eric. Thank you. Take it away, Eric. So we're A little bit just... about what you do and how you work with the state police. So we're part of the Human Trafficking Task Force in New Hampshire, and our goal is to assist the special agents with triaging the the complaints that come in, um, the reports that come in, and we're also tasked with doing uh, educational awareness. We teach at the Recruit Academy um, every year for the new recruits in New Hampshire. Um, we also promote the education through um, our social partners, social um, workers, and the uh, medical fields as well. And Eric, you work out of New Hampshire, correct? Out of uh, the state's largest city, I think, Manchester? Yes, yes I'm assigned to yeah. Homeland Security Investigations as a task force officer with Dave, and um, we show up to Manchester every day, and from there, that's our base of operations, and we go throughout the state and other states as needed to assist and investigate these crimes. Dave McCormick, New Hampshire State Police, thank you for what you do as well as you, Eric. Dave, good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of an Age. Thanks for being with us. Morning, Jack. Yes, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I know you've had us in before, and you know, as you know, it's a very important topic to us and i just want to start off and thank the attorney general's office because they're a huge partner in this as well yeah um with the funding and and keeping the task force going and you know i'm not going to talk politics but with the with the border and you know some of the issues we've had with unaccompanied children and you know just the trafficking that happens we really need to stay on top of it so we can protect these people and and give them the help that they need and i know eric takes it very serious so does I, so do I and, and yeah. we we work hard every day to try to you know help these 
these people, and a lot of the times it's juvenile. So, you know, we really take that serious. So thank you for having us on. Well, Dave, uh, you know, a lot of people, and Eric, I'm stay with Dave for a moment. Dave, a lot of people would think that New Hampshire is not an acute state for human or child trafficking. But my reading these days is any state in this country, unfortunately and tragically, can be a home for cases of human trafficking. Am I right or wrong on that? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Um, and, you know, the unaccompanied children that, when they get here, there's someone that ends up, you know, taking them to wherever. And, unfortunately, the parents sometimes are not around to keep an eye on them and, they get forced into these situations that, to be quite frank, they can't get out of. And mm-hmm. our job is to help them get out of that situation. Yep. And, Eric, uh, talk about that a little bit, New Hampshire being a case, because you're involved in law enforcement locally as well, as well as Homeland Security, correct? Yes. New Hampshire, Maine, our listening region, a crime, a crime could happen as much here as in Los Angeles and New York City or anywhere in America, correct? Absolutely. This is a $150 billion industry it, globally. Um, there's huge what? money in this. It, it goes That's, to uh, every region of the world has had this issue. Um, this isn't just something that happens in you know, large metropolitan areas. Right. Um, New Hampshire has, we have labor trafficking, and then we also have um, you know, Talk human about trafficking. What, what is labor like you have, you know, for work? Put, exactly. Putting a child in a, a forced work situation? It, it doesn't even it doesn't even have to be a child. It can be an, an adult. Oh, um, oh, you mean human trafficking? I see what you're saying. It's not just a minor. Yeah. And and being that New Hampshire is, um, you know, we have we have seasonal workers that come in and come out. You know, summer workers, uh-huh. winter workers. These people come from other countries. They're easily exploitable and they get taken advantage of. So not only are we doing the human trafficking on that aspect of labor trafficking, we're also investigating um, people who are you know forced into sex work. Well, let's say with the labor for a moment, Dave, I didn't think of that, Eric. You know, so you're saying someone could come here and be put to work on a, uh, I don't want to say construction site, but you know what I'm saying, some work site, and how do you keep track on all that? How do you, how do you keep up with all that? Well, luckily, we, we have the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which I can give you that number. Um, we also have an email address people can make reports to. Um, if you ever wanted to call and report um, human trafficking, that number is going to be one 347 2423 you can also email help at humantraffickinghotline.org, and that's going to go through uh, Homeland Security's website. Um, if you yourself are a victim of human trafficking and you're looking for help for yourself, you can call the um, Federal Reporting Hotline as well. Um, and, and, Dave, let me ask you this. From New Hampshire State Police, a task force working with Eric Homeland Security State Police. Of course, this is our auto fair, regular state police segment. Dave, about, you know, let's just say the last six months, of 2023, just about without compromising case integrity. About how many cases are, is your task force here locally working on? Just an, a rough number of active cases. Eric, Eric has those numbers. He put those together uh, before today, so he can give you those numbers. Um, the labor trafficking aspect of it, it, it's it's really sad. What happens is they they come here sometimes on a smuggling debt. You know that they pay money to come into the U.S. You know they have to pay that that off somehow and, and that what what they do is they force them into a work situation um sometimes they you know they'll promise them 25 dollars an hour and they'll pay them five and then you know they'll make them pay for rent they'll make them pay for you know utilities by the by the time they're done they're making no money at all they're actually paying off 
the wow. debt, and it just it, it just continues. And you know, we try to break up those those labor trafficking situations. Eric, the numbers. So for for the year, I can give you the year. Yep, yep. Um, we try to stat all of our stuff just to keep track. It's just shy of two hundred reports this year in New Hampshire alone. Um, and I just want to make sure that people understand human smuggling and human trafficking are two different things. Explain. So human smuggling is going to be transporting somebody across a border illegally as human trafficking is going to be using um, fraud, force, or coercion to exploit somebody either sexually or for labor. Right. Now, I want to ask you both a question. Uh, Dave said, and I don't blame him, he said he didn't want to get into politics, so I'm not going to, but we can't go through a day without hearing something about our borders with what's going on with migrant and people coming in, especially the southern border. But one of the two candidates for governor recently, Chuck Morris, just said um, he's concerned about the northern border. Governor Chris Sununu has talked about the northern border of New Hampshire and, of course, Maine. Um, is that a concern? Do we have people smuggling, you know, trying, human smuggling, trying to come across and exploit that northern border? Are you both aware of that or not? Well, Dave actually just went up to the northern. Well, he just taught a class um, to assist with that. Maybe Dave can elaborate Yeah, take it away, more. Dave. So the state police was able to secure money um, from the federal government for the northern border in New Hampshire. And I taught classes up there. Part of the requirements to work, the detail were, were to um, go through eight hours of training. And I did the human trafficking aspect of that. And Border Patrol told me when I was up there recently teaching the class that the, the crossings on the northern border have gone up 700%. Well, can you repeat that, Dave? The crossings on the northern border have gone up by 700%. Wow. Now, when I say the northern border, I'm not just saying New Hampshire. It's, you know, the northern border sector goes all the way over into New York, Vermont. Um, but they've seen a huge increase in people wow. coming across the northern border because I think the manpower issue for uh, Customs and Border Patrol and the fact that the northern border is porous. I mean, you can come through... Pittsburgh to the woods, and you know they just can't they just can't man every aspect of of Pittsburgh in the woods yeah. and yeah um unfortunately, they come down through and it's they've seen a like i said seven hundred percent that's that's crazy to me wow um and, and and real quickly, Eric and Dave, before we let you go on, thank you, Dave, New Hampshire State Police, and Eric Millar with Homeland security working together um, both of you can respond to this if someone's caught and convicted. Would it be a federal? Usually, it's probably, Dave mentioned the attorney general's office. Could it be a could it be a federal prosecution here? Number one versus state, or probably could be both. But if they're convicted of like human smuggling, human trafficking, labor, or sex crimes, these sentences can be pretty stiff or not. Yeah, absolutely. I think Dave can elaborate more. But we have a New Hampshire um, human trafficking statute, which mirrors basically the federal human trafficking statute. Um, but Dave can tell you a little more about a case he recently worked, which um, got a pretty severe sentence. Take it away, Dave. So I, I can't remember if we talked about this case last time I was on your show or not, Jack, but the West Alton Marina in Alton. Yeah, I remember this case. Uh, yep. Yeah, John Murray was the manager, and, and he ended up pleading guilty to, I believe it was 15 or 16 federal indictments, and he received 25 years in federal prison, and he's serving that right now. Um, and that's a minimum. So he, he has to do 25 years before he can even consider getting out. So wow. taking it on the federal side for us, the penalties, you know, they're enhanced. So that's what we try to do if it fits the federal nexus of, you know, 
taking it through the federal court versus the state yeah. court. We can do both, and we have done both, but 25 years is, a, is my, in my view, a good sentence for sure. what John Murray did to those kids at the, at the West Hall Marina, which was, you know, sex trafficking and child exploitation. Well, Dave McCormick, New Hampshire State Police, thank you, Dave. Be safe, be well. You're welcome anytime on the show. Eric in our studios, Moar uh, with uh, Homeland Security, thank you both very much for enlightening us. Um, everything from the labor side to the minor and adult side, and even the northern border stats. Wow, thank you. And, Eric, any final word or the number again if you want to report anything or get in touch? Yeah, if you need um, help for human trafficking, you call 1-888-373-7888. And as well as you can check out the um, Blue Campaign on the department, uh, dhs.gov. So the Blue Campaign is about some uh, services and some information that we uh, supply to help combat human trafficking. Eric, thanks for what you do. Thank you for coming in. You're welcome anytime. Back with us this morning is Liz Everett. She's been on before. Great guests. Bank of America. And Liz, I have to tell you, I don't know if you know this, you have somewhat of a fan club brewing within BOA, Bank of America, because yesterday I got some emails from Bank of America folks I know in the region saying, is Liz on today? Is Liz on? I said, no, it's tomorrow. (laughs) So, Liz, good morning. How are you? Well, good morning. It's great to be back, um, especially given how busy it is in New Hampshire. Certainly an exciting time, so thanks for having me. That's when we roll best. Liz, talk about, as I just said, remind us what the Bank of America Institute is. Sure, of course. So we launched Bank of America Institute um, a little over two years ago to really leverage the depth and the breadth of Bank of America's unique and substantial data, and really then to uncover the insights from that data. But I think the most important part is we want to take those insights and share them, not just internally with those friends of mine who were emailing you yesterday, um, within Bank of America, and not even just with our clients and with our customers, but really to share these findings and these insights with the public. You know, our goal really is to help companies and individuals, but also policymakers and also communities be more informed, which will help them make better decisions. And, you know, just to put it into context what kind of data we have, we've got over 69 million consumer and small business clients. And if you compare 69 that... 69 million? 69 million. So compare wow. that to the total number of U.S. households. That's about wow. 130 million, right? Yeah. And if you just want to put it in the New England context, right, always like to think about it that way, it's 12 times the number of households in New England. So it is powerful stuff. And what I think is great is when we look at this data, and of course we do this in an aggregated and anonymized manner, but we can uncover some pretty interesting things about how consumers are spending, how they're saving, what they're earning, what they owe, really just kind of how they're doing overall. And we can oftentimes do this analysis and share it faster or kind of more real time than some of the metrics that are published by, say, you know, government surveys or whatnot. And, and again, we share this for free, not just with our clients, but with anybody at right. bankofamerica.com slash institute. So good and, stuff. And we're such a data-driven society. Why not share it with everyone? Now, Liz Everett with Bank of America Institute, 2023, this past year, which we just came out of, we're in the new year, and there's, a, there's some ambiguity. Dr. Vicker and Manchuramani, Dr. Vick earlier shared some inflationary numbers, but uh, 2023 appears to be stronger, a stronger year for the consumer than many of us thought or expected. And was that true for the actual holiday shopping period, too, that crescendo at the end of the year? 
So you're 100% right that 2023 was stronger than people had anticipated. And you may remember back in December when they announced the 2023 Board of the Year, it was Riz. Um, wasn't really sure what that meant, but we joked within our team that if it had been a consumer Word of the Year, it would have been resilient because um, that's what our data was showing month in and month out. But talking specifically about holiday shopping, it started early and it started strong you know, and in fact, in November, holiday spending was kind of up two times the rate of overall spending, but that strength didn't really follow through in, in December. So in December, we saw consumer spending continue to grow, but holiday spending actually not only didn't keep up with the November strength or the overall spending, it actually declined year over year. So while people started their holiday shopping early, they didn't keep going, mm. even though they were continuing to spend on wow. other things. So, so, you know, kind of an interesting thing to look at there. We, when we dig into the numbers even further, what we found is that baby boomers and older consumers were, con- were actually growing their holiday spending, but the younger guys, Gen X and millennials, they were weaker. And, you know, the other thing that I think was really interesting, again, when we're drilling down further into the data, is when we saw, we saw the boomers start early in November, um, but but we did see a pop of Gen X and Millennials on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, mm-hmm. but it was just a pop, and then it went back down again. So that kind of suggests to me that those consumers were looking for deals. They were being very intentional in their purchases, mm-hmm. right? And potentially that's because they needed to save some of their spending to pay for other things. Now, Liz, let me ask you this one question. Going, now we're in 2024. Yeah. Liz Everett, Bank of America Institute, looking at data in a lot of households. We have some tremendous partners in the home building side. I'm a, I am love real estate. And yesterday we had a tremendous, a great sponsor partner of ours in the Lakes region. And they build custom homes for folks that are moving from southern New Hampshire into the Lakes region for sort of those 55 and above years or out of state um, in places like Moultonboro, Meredith, Wolfboro. And, and, and uh, he was saying, Jesse was saying that he's starting to see a slowdown, a slowing down, if you will, of, you know, beyond the jobs they're already doing. So... Real estate's on, up in the air. Interest rates for 2024, you know, a little bit of question mark. So what does your data suggest for the consumer, Liz, going forward this year? Yeah, I think, great question. So consumers generally, and not just the Gen X and the millennials that, that kind of had a slow holiday shopping season, but in general, they seem to be starting the year on a more cautious note. Um, you know, as we look, the data shows that while they have been resilient, and, you, you know, you heard me say consumer spending is growing, mm-hmm. wages and salary growth continues to be positive overall, but that rate of that growth for both spending and wages, it's moderating. It's not, it's just not growing as fast as it, as it was a year ago. And as a result, that's causing the consumer to be more cautious. And it's not just our data that's showing this. Consumers are telling us that too. So we have a Bank of America winter spending survey um, that we conducted and found that more than half, almost actually 60% of consumers are telling us that they're planning to spend less in 2024, which is probably what, you know, what, what your guest was saying the other day. Now, only thing I'd say to that is, while 60% sounds like a high number, keep in mind that 54% of people said the same thing last year, yeah. said they yeah. were going to cut back. So- but they didn't. So keep yep. that in perspective. And, and, and real quickly, we were going to bring in Dr. Vic, one of our regular contributors on this on the economic side, with a question. But real quickly was, it sounds like one size doesn't fit all. In other words, you talked earlier about the different groups at the holiday season. So are there differences between consumer groups? 
Yeah, there definitely are, and, and this is one of the advantages of that broad data set is that we can cut the data in different ways by age, by household income, by region, by industry, and we still have a large enough set that we can make observations while protecting the anonymity of our clients. And that I'd say there's two differences, two gaps that I would specifically highlight. First, the gap in spending between older and younger consumers, um, and also the gap between higher and middle and lower income consumers. And I think that second one is the one that might surprise people more, which is that when we slice the data looking at spending and by, by income level, mm-hmm. higher income households are actually spending their, their spending is lagging the spending of lower and middle income households. Now that might not necessarily surprise people, but the reason why will, which is that in December, while lower income households increased their spending, higher income households actually pulled back because their wages declined. So their higher income household wage growth declined, mm-hmm. turned negative on a nominal and a real basis wow. in December, while lower income households actually boosted their wages and salaries by 2.5%. So they're, they're seeing their money coming into their accounts go up by 2.5%. The spending is up by 1.6%. So it's a little bit of an interesting difference there that I think might surprise some people, but that's what our data is showing. Hey, Liz, this is uh, Vikram Manshramani. I, uh, I, I love the data. I love the work you do. Um, and so I just wanted to chime in here with a quick question, which is, you know, we had the student debt payments restart last fall. We also have seen credit card debt levels go through the roof. I'm curious how that comes through into your data and what it might imply for 2024. Yeah, no, great, great, great question. So we have looked at this, and again, in a, in some, in a way that somewhat surprises us, what we've actually seen is when we look at our customers who have student loan payments and put them on pause and restarted again in September or October, you might have thought that you would have then seen them pulling back on spending elsewhere. And in fact, you didn't. In fact, you actually saw their spending was a little bit higher than, than the non-student loan folks. And some of that we think is, there's two things I would think about here. One is that some of the, we also saw that their savings levels going into the repayment process were actually exceeding. So they, it almost seems as though they had saved the money in anticipation of needing to, to restart the repayments. Gotcha. But the other thing I would caution on is that those, those consumers who haven't started repayment yet, who are waiting for more of the on-ramp, they may be struggling more, and we, we're not seeing that yep. yet in our data. So still more to come on that, but, but at this point it doesn't seem to be holding the people who have started awesome. making the payments back yet. Liz, thank you so much. Liz Everett, Bank of America, Bank of America Institute. If people want to learn more or get the data, what's the best way, Liz? Best way is to check us out at bankofamerica.com slash institute. Thanks again. Awesome, awesome. Make it a great one. Thank you. Adam with Autofair Nissan and Stratum wants to make a quick reminder because he's a regular News Talk listener. Of course, we're very busy this next week or so, and Autofair Nissan and Stratum, they have a great deal as it pertains to this show. And for you, our listeners, take it away, Adam. Hey, Jack, great to uh, chat with you again this morning and great segment so far. Always love listening to the show. Um, just wanted to remind your listeners that uh, through the month of January, all they have to do is come in and mention your name, and uh, they will save 500 bucks on any new or used pre-owned vehicle. Um, and no questions asked. Just uh, mention Jack, and we'll take care of the discount for you. And I want to stress, this is for new or used, pre, you know, pre-owned Certified pre-owned, brand new, lease, buy, it doesn't matter. And, and uh, does it matter if it's not, a, you know, you have other brands on the lot. Nissan, I'm a Frontier guy, the new Frontier uh, Nissan pickup truck I love. But does it matter what the vehicle is, Adam? 
does not matter what the vehicle is whatsoever. Uh, any purchase this month by mentioning your name, 500 bucks right off the top. I love it. I love it. And, of course, you're very conveniently located right on that main stretch in Stratum, the Auto Fair Nissan and Stratum. Uh, your location, pretty easy to find. Uh, yeah, we're right off exit 10, off 101, and it's uh, 45 Portsmouth Avenue right in Stratum next to the Big Scammon Farm. Okay, I know it is exit 11 because I have family that lives right near you. All right, thank you so much, Adam. Uh, I appreciate it. 500 bucks. That's that's a couple trips to the grocery store, right? Uh, sure is. <laughs> All right, thank, thank <laughs> you, Adam. Maybe one, Jack. Maybe one. Thank you. Uh, you know, we talked earlier uh, about Iowa, New Hampshire. Brad Card, one of our political analysts and all-stars. Uh, Brad, I wanted you on. You're, I know you're getting ready to come up to New Hampshire, uh, not this uh, Monday or Tuesday, but the following for our coverage. Brad, real quick, big surprise or not, Chris Christie dropping out. What's the net impact here in New Hampshire? And, we, you know, it still feels like we have a race on the Iowa caucus stuff in Iowa. Last night a debate, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis going at it pretty fiercely or pretty passionately or pretty, you know, pretty tough, pretty fierce. And then Donald Trump may have been the winner by not even debating with his own event. Take it away, Brad. Yeah, well, first off, Jack, I'm glad you're having Rob Portman on. Rob Portman, if there was a Hall of Fame for the United States Senate, Rob Portman would be right at the top of that list. Um, I'm glad you're having him on, quite frankly. I wish he had actually run for president, too. He's a, he's a great guy. Anyway, the debate last night, a lot of fireworks, um, pretty heated. I'm not sure that that helped either candidate. But they had command of their issues, which I thought was pretty good. Both both of them have really picked up their game as far as debating skills. I think they've both done pretty well. Nikki Haley had a real good command of facts. She had a, a, a lot of stats, a lot of a lot of statistics, and a lot of facts that back up her uh, policy play. In my opinion, no, they were giving up a softball a little bit talking about uh, about the Constitution and how you take the pledge to the Constitution. And uh, what I think they did is they missed a massive opportunity. Donald Trump is the one guy who said that he would be okay with suspending the Constitution. He said that massive fraud of this type related to the elections and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. That's not the way I view the Constitution, and I think he's wrong. Um, it, 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 that needs to be pointed out. And if they're going to take off the gloves and go after Donald Trump, that's what they should be doing. Chris Christie getting out was inevitable. Um, I'm glad he did it. I give him a lot of credit. He put his policies in front of his ego, which I think was necessary. He's done. A, he, he brought a lot of really good issues to the table. I think he can continue to drive a lot of dialogue and debate. I'd love to see him endorse in this race. He clearly took a shot at Nikki Haley in a in a uh, in a hot mic uh, situation at his town right. hall, but and, and that might hurt her a little bit if he chooses to endorse her. But she is the candidate moving. She's the one who's got the momentum. She's the one I think that would have an opportunity to beat Donald Trump in New Hampshire, and and that's really what it's going to take. Donald Trump is still a massive front runner, and I also watched his uh, town hall forum. A lot of softballs. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was Donald Trump's best performance. He was very uh, measured for the first time. We don't see Donald Trump being measured, but he was actually pretty measured. Um, and he even said that he didn't think he was going to have time for retribution because he's going to be right, doing right. so many good things. So I think Donald Trump actually did a pretty good job, too. But look, at this is going to be a really interesting week. And then uh, New Hampshire primary, that's when Nikki Haley really has to perform. 
Real quickly, Brad, are you hearing anything? And, of course, Dr. Vick is here. Real quick, we only have 30 seconds. Rob Portman coming. Are you hearing anything about Christie talking to Joe Manchin and the labels? Is that rumor mill stuff, Brad? I haven't heard that. Um, it wouldn't surprise me necessarily. I mean, look, if, if, if Chris Christie is true to his word, where his primary position was to defeat Donald Trump, right now Nikki Haley's the candidate that is poised to do that. So uh, I, I would like to see him endorse Nikki Haley and then campaign for Nikki Haley. I think right, he's got, got a run. very solid voice.